Islam. Assalamu alaikum. Salam. Hotep. I want to welcome everyone to another airing of Conscious Vibes Radio. Of course, I am your host, Ramael Il Bay. And today, um, subject will be Columbus in 1492, Columbus sailed the waters blue. I think everyone who's listening knows today is the uh, what is termed Columbus Day, and um, by the uh, U.S. governments. And so we're going to get into some of that history, um, some of the things dealing with the explorations, um, who the people who are part of the exploration. Um, and the different things and people who was um, already found here uh, prior to the explorations. Before we get into into that, um, we want to make our a few announcements. Uh, the biggest announcement: we want to make sure that everyone is getting set up for the event that is taking place this weekend. Uh, of course, we have uh, Amir Tashri Bay um, in the uh, Northern Khalifa territories. Um, the event on Saturday will be a seminar from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. I want to stress the fact that it is a seminar from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. The subject or subjects will be the science of government and taking control of your estate. In the beginning of the seminar, we will get into the setup and maintenance of government and the historical significance um, and the history of how governments come about, how are governments situated. From that, that will walk us in right into how to actually take control of your estate. Since there's a lot of myths going around about what government is, um, the type, we need to develop a better understanding of the titles of government, the functions of government, uh, how we are to be a government, if and how we are a nation. And then we also need to teach and clear up some of the misconstrued and purposely um, erroneously given ideas of how to take control of your state, dealing with whether we're speaking of birth certificate identification or uh, being a sovereign citizen. We're going to get into that, understanding how to set up your own trust you know, the steps to claiming your nationality. Um, these are the things that we will literally get into on Saturday at the seminar. You will also be given a book, as we did last year. Those who attended know that they received a um, a book as you walk in the door um, that covers, that has all the material that we will be covering. So it is your book, of course, and you're able to take your notes, 
and then, you know, also use that as a teaching tool later. So you, of course, get your seminar material when you walk in the door. That, um, if you book between now and the end of the show, the contribution uh, required to uh, affirm your seat is 40 notes. And you can go to PayPal and pay NorthGateBay, B-E-Y, at gmail.com to get that taken care of now. If you wait till after the show, then it automatically changes over to 50-note contribution We because we do, of course, give the discounts a month in advance for everyone, and then you have the people who, of course, wait to the last minute to do everything, and we're trying to, you know, get people to stop doing that. So at the end of the show, it, it automatically will change the 50 notes uh, for the contribution. We have to start getting in the mindset of getting things done in advance instead of being so reactive. Now, you have on Sunday, the lecture will start at 3 p.m. properly. This is in the Sacramento Territory. It will start at 3 p.m. and last till 7 p.m. This is a lecture. The subject matter will be on the application and the significance of treaties today with us as Moorish Americans. So in this subject, the Emir will be dealing with how treaties apply to us today. What is the significance? Why is it necessary to talk or deal with the Treaty of Peace and Friendship? Why is it important to understand um, the United Nations Declaration Declaration of Rights of Indigenous Peoples. Why is it important to understand the more than 200 treaties that were signed with us, the Aboriginal tribes here, um, in the 17, 18, and even into the 1900s? Why are those important, important, and how do they apply? Or do they apply? And how can and if they apply? How can we enforce them? So uh, the contribution for that lecture is 30 notes, 30 notes. It will be 35 notes at the door. Now, it takes place in in Sacramento Territory at 4311 Atua. You can go to PayPal to secure your, your seat for that. Both of these venues have limited seating. So these are not 100-seat venues, so I really suggest that you go ahead and get it done ASAP. You can go to PayPal for the one in Sacramento. It is a different um, email you use to pay. You spell out nine, five. 9-N-I-N-E-5-F-I-V-E at prodigy.net. If I'm wrong on the email, Brother uh, Hakeem, uh, send me a text with the uh, right email if I'm uh, 
uh, misspoke or put it in there wrong. Now, yes, that's 95fprodigy.net. You also, as a reminder, have the study classes, or actually before I move on to that, if you want to do a live stream of the event Saturday, it is a 20-note contribution. You also go to Northgate Bay as your payee on PayPal. If you want to live stream it, it's 20 notes. You need to get that done um, ASAP also because I don't want to have to deal with that the morning of with people trying to attempt to do that at the last minute also because it makes, you know, it just makes um, – the morning more complicated because I'm going to send out all the information uh, more than likely the night before. So please get those things done um, as soon as possible. If you want to live stream the Saturday seminar, it is a 20-note contribution to live stream it on the live stream. Uh, We're going to do our best to make sure that you can also ask questions and it's also interactive um, so that you can be fully uh, a part of the uh, event just as we did last year with the Masters of Law class, those online were able to ask questions um, as, they, as their questions came and make comments just as the audience there was. Um, now, we also have the study classes uh, that go on in the Sacramento Territory uh, every other Saturday. If you haven't been to one, uh, you can... You can um, uh, email Brother Hakeem at 95 at net. And he will give you the other uh, information. So if you need any information regarding the the study class, it is 95 at net, And he will give you more information. And that is for the Sacramento uh, Territory. Now, if the – oh, and that's on, excuse me, every every other Saturday, and it usually starts about 3.30. Uh, so 3.30 to 5.30, you have that class. You also have the study class that goes on in the Oakland-San Francisco Territory, and that's every Thursday at 7 p.m., 3100 Telegraph. Every Thursday, 7 p.m., 3100 Telegraph. And you can also catch that one um, being streamed live on YouTube. But you need to subscribe to Moab, M-O-A-B, Bay. And that is when you will get all the necessary information for that class. And so you'll get a a reminder when the class is going live and, um, you know, and those things, anything pertaining to that, um, that channel. All right. So let's go ahead and jump on into the subject. Um, Today, uh, you know, you hear, of course, this is um, the remembrance of Columbus Day. 
or Columbus. And you also see that within the news you have quite a few people of who have now termed themselves as First Nations people and the um, Native people um, fighting to get the day changed to one that re- reflects um, the massacres and atrocities um, that happened here, or at least turn it, they'll say they want to turn uh, Indigenous Peoples Day. Um, and so there's a whole fight going on, you know, for that. So being, being that such... Um, feel it important to at least go over uh, some of the true history of the exploration and what made the exploration possible, uh, who made it possible, and uh, what was going on. In most of the accounts, you're going to find that the children, no matter where they're located uh, within the corporation of the U.S., are taught the same story as to what was going on in um, Europe, on the peninsula of Europe. Um, And they're taught the same story as to Columbus all of a sudden being some great explorer and based on his exploration, figuring out the world had to be round and not flat um, and deciding that he wanted to embark on this all-important journey that turns out to be um, the discovery of the Americas. Okay. Now, let me read. I'm going to read exactly, or for the most part, exactly how it's taught. Um, how it's taught to to the children. Now, this is coming out of one of a composite of all the school books. And it says that the way they're taught is that most of the books were to start a story. Life in Europe was slow paced. Curiosity about the rest of the world was at a low point. Then many changes took place in Europe during the 500 years before Columbus discovery of the Americas in 1492. People's horizons gradually widened, and they became more curious about the world beyond their own localities. Europe was stirring with new ideals. Many Europeans were filled with burning curiosity. They were living in a period called the Renaissance. The Renaissance encouraged people to regard themselves as individuals. What started Europeans thinking, thinking new thoughts and dreaming new dreams, then there's a question mark. A series of wars called the Crusades were partly responsible. The Crusades acquired a taste for the exotic delights of Asia. The desire for more trade quickly spread. The new, the old world, or the old trade routes in Asia, had always been difficult. That is the basic composite story of why the um, crusades, or excuse me, the uh, exploration 
um, took place. They give you, they go into a lot of connotative histories, just straight out lies. Um, They're going to speak about the 500 years prior to 1492 and go into the start of the rebirth or the renaissance. Re meaning to do against, neons meaning birth. However, what they're not doing, as could easily be seen, is actually giving you the history. As as most would know, um, during this time in Andalusia, you're going to have the, the Muslim Moors who had went in and established many of the uh, schools, libraries, universities there, invited the um, the red man or the Germanic tribes in um, and began an educational system. You will have the University of Salamanca that you will see that is um, the, the first university placed, um, placed there is the University of Salamanca. You can Google that. It's still an up-and-running university now. Um, you're going to find that uh, the Muslim Moors went in and added streetlights, running water. Um, you have Ziryad, uh, who was dealing with medicine, music. Um, you had many, many of your great uh, inventions that took place there. You're also going to have your first uh, known uh, flying attempt, attempt at flying take place to uh, amongst the Moors. It's not recorded as a successful flight because the landing uh, was not that great. But you're going to find that the first actual successful attempt at going into the skies um, and flying was actually done in Andalusia or modern, modern what we call uh, Spain. Again, it's not recorded as that, one, to keep us out of the history books, but two, the excuse that they will give is that the landing um, was not quite correct. So you had many things going on over there, um, but it was, the, in fact, the universities and the schools that were there that sparked the new birth. Now, with that sparking in new birth, you also have the art of navigation because we have to remember that prior to um, even the eighteen, the mid-1800s, uh, the Moors, whether Muslim or not, controlled all of the seas. And the trade routes on the seas were controlled by Moors. So you're going to find that it was through this educational system um, and us teaching navigation and, and teaching the art of shipbuilding that you started to have this renaissance. Now, the real name of Christopher Columbus is Cristobal Colon. He's referred to in history as Christopher Columbus. But he, his name is Cristobal Colon. Now, the story uh, that's normally given about him, I'm going to read, 
And then we're going to, again, start breaking some of these things down. Now, the story that's given to uh, Columbus, of course, they make him into a Christ-like figure. They separate time based on his exploration. And they will call, especially the time periods in a maxim, or what is commonly referred to as America, they were separated based on his, his exploration. Pre-Columbian, meaning pre-Columbus, and post-Columbus. So there are time periods marked by his exploration. Just as you have uh, mundanely the time period that's given to those based on um, uh, Jesus the Christ or Isa, before Christ, B.C., after Christ, or after death, A.D. And so the exploration to a maxim is marked the same way. Now, the way that they give the story to your children and you, because I'm sure most of us have went through the same schooling system, is that they tell you that born in Genoa, Italy, of humble parents, Christopher Columbus grew up to become an experienced seafarer. He sailed the Atlantic as far as Iceland and West Africa. His adventures convinced him that the world must be round. Therefore, he fabled riches of the East, spices, silk, and gold, could be had by selling west, suspending the overland route through the Middle East, which the Turks had closed off to commerce. To get funding for his enterprise, Columbus defeats monarch after monarch in Western Europe. After at first being dismissed by Ferdinand and Isabella of Spain, Columbus finally got his chance when Queen Isabella decided to underwrite a modest expedition. Columbus outfitted three pitiful small, pitifully small ships, the Nina, the Pizza, and the Santa Maria, and set forth from Spain. The journey was difficult. The ships sailed west into the unknown Atlantic for more than two months. The crew almost mutinied and threatened to throw Columbus overboard. Finally, they reached the West Indies on October 12, 1492. Although Columbus made three more voyages to America, he never really knew he had discovered a new world. He died in obscurity, unappreciated, and penniless. Yet without his daring, American yet without his daring, American history would have been very difficult. For a sense, Columbus made it all possible. That's the story. That's how it's given to the children that Columbus made it all possible. And that he, being an experienced seafarer, had a connection of sorts that the world must be round. And that he, desiring the riches of the world, wanted to explore and see if these fables were true. One of the things, of course, you've seen that, that they do is that they did give you a small tidbit, a 
of actually one thing that was actually true in there, speaking about how um, the Moors, or as they have styled them here, the Turks, were the ones running a particular sea route. And so he went the other way. Now, it must be understood that prior to Cristobal Colon, you had many um, other explorations. You have the Ming map that will show you that the Manchurians or people from uh, what is called today Asia had already been here. You also have the Peter Reyes map that is going to be a composite map now um, that actually draws and outlines the um, a sketch or the the, um, the outlands of the of Mexican or America. You're going to have the Vikings who are told to you to be the Vikings who made it here in the 11th century and who were also known uh, to have sailed here and stayed. You also had other Albions or Germanic tribes uh, in the early 1400s who had also traveled back and forth. This is well documented in history. Well documented in history. What has to be understood is the relativity to the defeat of the Muslim Moors and the date of 1492. If you do not put that correlation together, if you do not keep that together, then you will miss the point of why you have um, PC and AC, pre-Columbian, after-Columbian time period for the Americas, but it also you're going to have um, the same thing for Europe. With everything that was going on with the Moors and the constant battles, the Crusades, and and all these the um, things that was going on there, Europe did not have the ability nor the wealth to be able to do uh, seafaring escapades, seafaring escapades, seagoing escapades, the way they did after 14, after our collapse, after us falling at Granada. You had constant war going on all through um, the 1400s and the end of the 1300s. I mean, you had the wars going on predating that also. But as the, as the wars and the eventual fall of the Muslim Moors manifested, of course, the, the heat turns up. 
so it was only by taking over the lands of Aragon and Castilla and Andalus that made it possible for the Europeans to actually be able to settle down and make this exploration possible. So the correlating date of 14 or year of 1492 becomes a pivotal date in world history, not just the history dealing with Cologne, but actual world history. Again, without the fall of the Muslim Moors, And I'm using the term Muslim so that we everyone is correct in not only the history, but the thought, thought process as to who failed in Castile and Aragon and in Andalusia. Because there were Moors prior to the Muslim Moors already in those lands. So whenever we're referring to 7-Eleven, if we're going to teach everyone correctly, then we must also say Muslim Moors or Muslim Moors or Mohammedan Moors. We want to bring in 347-443 before I move on. Area code 347 with the exchange 443, Islam. Islam, Islam, Sammy, Sharif, L, close enough with the next one. Um, I, I wanted peace, peace. Um, I wanted to um, bring up something because you know uh, people may not be able to know where to start or you know what to study in order to get to this information. So um, I'm just throwing out a reference that they can find. Um, if you Google pre-Columbian era, because when they say Colombian, they're they you know the it's, it's masked as uh, being referenced for Columbus, right? Which is true. Mm-hmm. However, it's a deeper meaning, understanding that um, Columbus is really a code word for colonization. So, mm-hmm. but when you, when you Google uh, pre-Columbian era, and this is just Wikipedia, <laughs> this is Wikipedia, like don't sleep on Wikipedia, people, because for real, this is, they'll tell you some gems, you know, don't depend on it solely, but they do definitely tell you some things that can really open your eyes. And I, if, if you may permit me, I just want to read a small paragraph where it's uh, um, in reference to the pre-Columbian era. Um, it says the pre-Columbian era incorporates all period subdivisions in history and prehistory of the Americas before the appearance of significant European influences on the American continent, spanning the time of the original settlement in the upper Paleolithic period to European colonization during the early modern period. While while this phrase, pre-Columbian era, literally refers to the time preceding Christopher uh, Christopher Columbus's voyage of 1492, in practice, the phrase usually is used to denote the entire history of indigenous America's cultures, uh, uh, indigenous America's cultures until those cultures were vanquished, diminished, or extensively altered by Europeans. 
even if this happened decades or centuries after Christopher's uh, Christopher Columbus land, uh, first landing. Like I, I mean, that's just that's just the first paragraph, <laughs> you know. So mm-hmm. uh, just just as a good reference, you know, for those who are just gaining this information, I think I thought that would be um, a, a good starting point. Uh, that's all I wanted to say. People like that a year before. Islam. So yes, during that. Um Anything that we're talking about, you want to make sure you do that research and then looking up those references that the uh, uh, sister just gave also will be important for learning the true history of actually what was was taking place. Because, again, when you're reading how they're giving it to your children, then they're going to educate it way, way down. They're going to take it into indoctrination. They're not giving you the history at all. Um, so understanding Cristobal Cologne, again, they told you that the Turks were controlling the trade route based in the Middle East. They also gave you uh, the small, small uh, facet of him begging for finance and begging for a charter to be able to do the selling, okay, and being turned down a few times. Well, but they're not really telling you the history of why he was able to get the funding, okay, because, see, what they're leading you to believe is that all of a sudden he was able to convince uh, Isabella to give him the funding for his exploration and that he was a respected seafarer, okay? Now, that's just simply not true. In no way, shape, or form was he considered a valuable seafarer. What needs to be brought into the picture is the true link as to actually why, why he was able to get the funding. Remember that he had three ships, the Nina, the Pinta, the San Maria, those three ships. Now, on those three ships, you had a particular domus, who was the captains of those three ships. You had a particular domus who were the navigators of those three ships. This particular domus were considered to be the well-renowned seafarers or seagulls. It was by enlisting the help of this particular domus that he was able to get the funding. And it was not until he enlisted their help that he was actually able to get the funding. Now, in most of the terms or what you will hear that they will tell you that on the Santa Maria, that there was a more who was helping navigate 
the ship. The more that they will give you is Pedro Alonso Nino. And then they will tell you that he was sometimes referred to as El Negro. What they're leaving out is that actually you had three brothers. And those brothers were all the ones who actually were the captains or at least very intricate in steering the boats. Now, I want to make this clear as we proceed. History is is not emotional, and it's not necessarily um, be upset or be proud uh, of type of thing. Most of the time, unfortunately, when we're speaking of this particular subject, um, with Moors or whoever who is dealing with the history, what we end up doing is that we actually end up um, taking pride in something that we shouldn't be taking pride in. So in the reference to these people who were accompanying Cristobal Colon, there should not be any pride taken in this. This is not a proud moment of history. These are just laying out the facts. So it need not be a thing where, you know, uh, Moors or anyone is throwing in some, you know, in the face as if it's, it's, a, it's a sense of pride that the Moors were the ones or these particular Moors um, were the ones who um, steered the boats and, you know, that just shows how great we were. No, it's, it, it, it shows a whole different issue, actually. But in order to learn from our past mistakes, uh, we also um, – you know, have to learn um, the history, whether we like it or not. So you had the Nino brothers, the Nino, N-I-N-O brothers. There were three of them, and all three of them were on different ships. And they were all either the navigators of the ship or very intricate on that ship. The Pedro was indeed the navigator of the Santa Maria. Then you had um, Juan, who navigated uh, one of the boats also. Uh, I think Juan was on the uh, Nina. Yeah, while was on the Nina, and you had the other brother on the Pinta. Now, <clears throat> these brothers actually went out on several other voyages with Columbus. So when he left in 1492, 
He also came back, I think it, it is in 1495 or 96, with two of the brothers accompanying him. Eventually, and this is during the time prior to this history being rewritten, Columbus was never famed for this exploration during his time period. He never gained any fame or anything during the actual, his actual life for this exploration that he actually accompanied the Moors on. In fact, again, the only reason that the finances were secured for the voyage was because he enlisted the help of the Nino brothers. Pedro, who accompanied Cristobal Colon, or Cristobal Colon accompanied Pedro on the voyages, went out on two voyages. When he came back, he reached um, critical fame and was given a charter to then begin to explore by himself many of the other lands going into the Mediterranean and Asia. He was also given within his charter told that all of his riches or anything that he found or plundered, a fifth had to be given to the king, Ferdinand at the time. On one of his on his last voyage, uh, it was him and his brother. They were actually um, jailed because Ferdinand saw that they were withholding a part of what was owed to him. On his last voyage, uh, he was he was jailed. Now you'll find uh, two different accounts on what on um, how that played out. You'll find one account that will say that he was exonerated, and when he was freed, eventually you know he lived a great life and eventually died. You'll find another account that says that um, he died while still being in prison. What is consistent is that he um, was imprisoned uh, after being given his charter. He went into and found salt mines um, and all types of things, you know, in the different lands. Um, Pearls were a big deal. And so being able to bring back pearls, which you will find that in Columbus uh, Journal, that he refers to, um, the Aboriginal people giving him pearls um, in exchange for the garbage that they was giving us, the Aboriginal people from their land. So they was giving us some garbage, but you have to also remember that we did not hold and esteem these things the way that they did. So a gift of a pearl to us was a gift. It was not necessarily something that 
we seen as making you wealthy. So where he's trading uh, garbage, some just some crap that they were giving people. You, we're going to read the journal and you'll see it because even he calls it crap. They were being given uh, pearls and things of that nature. So you have the the Nino brothers, and that's definitely something that you want to look into. Now, on this charter, on the charter, you will find that they are told to go to the different lands, um, and they are attempting to uh, find gold. Now, as they're attempting to find gold and, and pearls and all those things, they're attempting to, of course, mass wealth. But they're also attempting the part that they're not telling you, and this is why the correlation of 1492 becomes extremely important. The parts that they're leaving out is that based on 1492 and what was going on, we're dealing with them now wanting to go into the different lands of the Moors. 1492 becomes a um, a pivotal date in Moor and Moabite history. The collapse and the lo- the uh, losing um, of the battle in Granada and the seceding of Andalusia uh, to Castile and Aragon become very de- a very decisive blow to the Moabite community worldwide. Understanding that, though, still the Moabite community was still so strong that it still took another 300 years for it to, for it to pretty much collapse. But 1492 marked a time period where if you really put the Renaissance in its proper scope, the rebirth, act, you know, deals with them getting a new wind and our wars that we have been fighting amongst each other really coming back to haunt us and setting the world stage for what we see today. So not only was the charter given to Cologne about plundering and finding new things in these new worlds, but it also was dealing with charting out and seeking out Moorish territories, which eventually you will start to see the Inquisitions and all the other battles that are continuing the punitive wars come after. You will actually will find that the revision, the new parts of the history um, have been taught since about 1915. The Christian faith, as it's called it, and understanding that Christian 
um, is just another code word that is used um, for the Germanic tribes. Although, and that's contemporary. That's not archaic. That's a contemporary term used to mark the Germanic or the Red Man tribes, the Roman. And again, that is contemporary because your Christian faith actually is started by Moors. The Christian spiritual system is started by Moors. Contemporarily, the term Christian is used to denote the Roman, Red Man, Germanic tribal families. With the plundering that's taking place in, the, in these newfound lands that they will coin it for this exploration, the doctrine of Christianity is used as the foundation of the right to these lands. What would happen is that when they would reach the lands, whether you're talking about Cortez or any of them who was given the charter um, by the king, now understanding the charter, although from the king, is coming through uh, the papacy because the papacy is in control of all of the European kingdoms. And the king at that time is just a face pace for the papacy for the regular people. What they would do is that they would read aloud. They would read aloud a demand to the aborigines. It would go it would go like this. I implore you to recognize the church as a lady, and in the name of the Pope, take the king as Lord of this land and obey his mandates. If you do not do it, I tell you that with the help of God I will enter powerfully against you all. I will make war everywhere in every way that I can. I will subject you to the yoke and obedience to the church and to his majesty. I will take your women and children and make them slaves. The deaths and injuries you will receive from here or will be your own fault and not not that of his majesty nor of the gentlemen that accompany me. So this is literally what is read out aloud as they're coming into the lands. Which shows you the hierarchy of the system that's taking place. The Pope, the King, in the name of the Pope, take the King as your King. And if you don't, I'm going to kill you, your women, and your children. And I'm going to rape, rape you also. So, and I'm going to make them slaves. This is what's read. Now, it's read to people who who Cologne himself says is very peaceful. 
I'm going to read you part of his journals. And, re- and, and remember, that statement is read to these people. This is out of Cologne's journals. He says, presently, many inhabitants of the island assemble. What follows is an actual words of Admiral in his book of the first navigation and discoveries of the Indies. I, he says, that we might form great friendship, for I knew that they were people who could be more easily free and converted to our holy faith by love than by force. Gave some of them red capes, red caps, and glass beads to put round their necks, and many others of little value, which gave them great pleasure and made them so much our friends that it was a marvel to see. They afterwards came to the ship boats where we were swimming and bringing us parrots, cotton threads, and skeins, darts, and many other things. And we exchanged them for other things that we gave them, such as glass beads and small bells. In fine, they took all and gave what they had with goodwill. It appeared to me to be a race of people very poor and everything. They go as naked as when their mothers bore them, and do and so do the women, although I do not see more than one young girl. All I saw were youths, none more than 30 years of age. They are very well made, with very handsome bodies and very good continents. Their hair is short and coarse, almost like the hairs of horses' tail. They wear their head. They wear their hairs brought down to the eyebrows except a few locks behind, which they wore long and never cut. They paint themselves black, and they are the people of the Canaries, neither black nor white. Some paint themselves white, others red, and others of what color they find. Some paint their faces, others their body, some only round the eyes and others only on the nose. They neither carry nor know anything of arms. For I showed them swords, and they took them by the blade and cut themselves through ignorance. They have no iron, the darts being wands without iron, some of them having a fishing hook, fishing tooth at the end, and others being pointed in various ways. They were all of fair stature, size, and good faces and well made. I saw some with marks of wounds in their bodies, and I made signs to ask what it was, and they gave me to understand that people from other adjacent islands came with the intention of seizing them and that they defeated, defended themselves. I believe and still believe that they come here from mainland to take them prisoners. They should be good servants and intelligent, for I observed that they quickly took in what was said to them, and I believe that they would easily be made Christians as it appeared to me that they had no religion. I, our Lord, being pleased, will take hence at the time of my departure six natives for your highness, that they may learn to speak. I saw no beast of any kind except parrots in their islands. This is from the journal. Now he also goes on to say, as soon as dawn broke, many of these people came to, to the beach, all youths. As I said, all of good stature are very handsome people. Their hair is not curly but loose and coarse like horse hair. And all, 
and all the forehead is broad, more so than any other people I have here to see. Their eyes are very beautiful and not small, and themselves far from black, but the color of the canarians. Nor should, nor should anything else be expected, as this land is a line east and west from the land island of Hero in the canaries. The legs are very straight, all in one line, and no belly, but very well formed. They come to the ship in small canoes made out of the trunk of a tree like a long boat, and all of one piece and wonderfully worked in silvering the country. They they are large, some of them holding 40 to 50 men. Okay, that's just going to keep going into the boats. Understanding that these people who came in peace are the ones who they would read that message to. That's who they read it to. But the purpose of the voyages being that of to plunder for gold. Columbus' own words was, gold is most excellent. Gold constitutes treasures. And he who has it does all he wants in the world and can even lift souls up to paradise. Gold is most excellent. Gold constitutes treasure, and he who has it does all he wants in the world and can even lift souls up to paradise. Those are Columbus's words in reverence to how he sees and how the European mindset was towards gold. What we held as sacred, they held as well, which is, of course, the same thing that we see today, no different. Now, what this sets in motion is now the continued exploration, because after Cologne and the Nino brothers get here, and they see and they're welcomed in, to a certain extent, okay, initially welcomed in. Of course, even on the first voyage, they start to steal, plunder, and rape. So initially they're welcomed in, and they start to see that the people here walk around with gold. Now, if you'll pay attention to the narrative, it tells you that no women, I think they said that only they've seen one girl. The women were not sent out to explore. So the only thing that Cologne and the Nino brothers met were the men of the tribe who were out, of course, exploring. Also, that shows you that there was a system set up that allowed for those who were within the tribe to know when people were um, approaching. Because when they docked, they were approached. So we had people who did recognizance, recon work, to know who was approaching. But they were still men in peace. And if you go further into the history, you'll see where they were brought certain things, welcomed in, 
just as all the explorers were. This was is a Moorish or uh, uh, African Asiatic custom. Sometimes, you know, everything um, has its opposite. Sometimes you can be too welcoming and don't learn lessons quick enough. And so with us welcoming welcoming, uh, these people in, we expose them to our way of life. Now, at this time, we we don't know that these idiots see that the, the goal that um, our women, are more about women are wearing, we don't know that these idiots see that as something that um, is, is supposed to be of some sort of wealth or value. These are things that we wore based on lineage, based on alchemy. These were spiritual things. Well, to a fallen people, these spiritual beings become things of wealth and treasures. And so that's what you have. So as they're welcome, that again sets the stage for the continued exploration and plundering by the Albions. And so with <clears throat> With them now, you're going to have the you're going to have years later Cortez come in. You're also going to have um, many other potential plunderers and how they'll give them to you explorers come in to rape and pillage. What you also want to look into is the part of the exploration where they tell you all of who the people were. I'm going to suggest a few different a few different books. You want to look at a book when rocks cry out. Is uh, Horace Butler. You want to read the Cortez journals. You read him and his son's journals. You also, of course, want to read Ancient and Modern Britain. Although that one for this particular subject is not a must, must read. The other two are much greater for the subject. Um, you also have um, A Star in the West by Elias Benino. The two, the, the one that is the key, because we want to from a scholarly standpoint, you want to stay as close to first-hand material as possible. Cortez and his son's journals really become the key if you can find authentic versions. Because they're going to tell you exactly 
what was being encountered and who was being encountered. They're going to tell you about the cities and the megaliths and the structures that were in and a part of these cities. Okay, they're going to they're going to tell you. They're going to tell you about the continents. They're going to tell you about the color, the temperament, the governmental structure of the people. Again, you have to find authentic versions of it, though. And you cannot necessarily find um, books written about it that are contemporary to today. You want to deal with material that's as close to written back in those days as possible. Also understanding the original versions are not going to be in English, so you need to find as close to an original translation as possible. Because if you don't, you'll notice the use of connotative terms that will throw off the history. Now, it wasn't, it was not until later on that you started to have a push um, for this for the day. One of the reasons that you had a push for them to set up the Columbus Day and the remembrance of it is for the radicalization of Moore's history to wipe it out, to push it Push it underneath the rug You had after Reconstruction This attempt Remembering that this version These versions of, of history Really did not start getting taught Until around 1915 After the reconstruction Of the, of the 1800s What started to happen is that the need for the actual history needed to be suppressed as those Moors who were being freed were starting to reestablish themselves, open schools, um, and teaching ourselves how to read again. So the need to suppress the history became paramount. The need to reconstruct the history became paramount. Again, up until your 1850s, Albions were still enslaved um, on this land and in, and in Europe, did not still have the freedom to use the sea, the seas. The, the sea was still up under um, Moore's control all around the world. So in order to quell the insurrections and quell what would be the eventuality of a maxim if the history state can continue to be taught, 
they began the process of rewriting and burning the books on this land. Of course, a lot of the history um, is kept in the Library of Congress, um, a lot being very difficult to get access to for many. When Cortez um, came here, he had Estevanico, who was a Moor, with him. Now, Estevanico um, was uh, a Moor's very short in stature, but he was known for his ability um, to communicate in different languages. He was actually taken in and um, caught by the tribes here because he started out, as Venico started out, um, or was enslaved in Europe for a short period of time. And he accompanied again, accompanied Cortez. Well, when he got here, him and a few other men were running recon missions, and he was captured for a period of, I think, about five years. While he was captured, he learned the, the ways and the language of the tribe. Eventually, he was let go, and he went back to um, the the Spaniards. Now, also, what must be noted, if we're, you know, with us dealing with writing exact history, whenever we're speaking of Spaniards, we're speaking of, in most cases, in most cases, you're speaking of Moors. You're speaking in most cases of Moors. Again, this ain't an emotional issue. This is just the history we have to learn from it. When we're speaking of Spaniards, we're speaking of amalgamated children. There's no such thing as a, as, as a Spaniard, the history that's given to you. Those are the amalgamated children that was produced in many cases by the harms that the Moors had. Because prior to Spain, it was Andalusia, Castile, and Aragon. There was no Spain. Spain is modern. Spanish is, is modern. It's a language. It's not a people. You had Andalusia. You had Castile. You had Aragon. There was no Spanish people. So the term was widely and has been widely used based on the amalgamation. Now, understanding that we... Um, did things based on the lineage of the mother. So in most cases, with us, in ancient archaic times, a Spaniard would not be considered, and I'm using it connotatively, okay, with, with how most lineages are understood. You were whatever your mother is, so if the Moors, if your mother was not considered to be a Moor or a Moabite, and she was of a Germanic stock. If she bore a child, the child would be considered of their Germanic stock, not of the Moabite stock. 
Modernly, everybody's wrapped in the war in that way. But archaically, historically, we follow the lineage of the mother. And nationalities and nations are not built necessarily based on on what we consider to be race today. It was tribes, not race. So when you're speaking of the people of Andalusia and the people of Aragon and Castilia, you had the amalgamation that was taking place because as the Moors began, as the Muslim Moors began to uh, make their way down the peninsula. You have many of the Germanic women being taken into harems and actually being taken in on as wives and concubines, producing an amalgamated people that eventually go on to be called Spaniards. And so you also find that during that time period, just like in the time period when you get into Akukta uh, and the Hyksos and most of your other lands, and when you start looking at even today um, with the politics that goes on, the amalgamated children in Andalusia um, began to literally play both sides. So you'll find many of the... um, many of the children growing up being informants for the kingdoms of Aragon and Castilio. Castilio. You'll find them doing that. You'll find that they were considering themselves a part of the, uh, of the, of the Muslim kingdom, but then they were reporting back to Ferdinand or reporting back um, to Isabella, you'll see a whole lot of that. So when we get over into the Spanish Inquisitions, it must be firmly understood that we're speaking about Moors on Moors when we speak of the Spanish Inquisitions. In many cases, we're talking about Moors on Moors. When we speak about Cortez, we're talking about a Moor. When we talk about Estevanico, we're talking about a Moor. Now, Estevanico, when he was let loose, he went back to Cortez and the others. Cortez eventually gets killed. Estevanico um, becomes the superior um, and he begins to be the one who leads the group. As he's leading the group, he attempts to um, take the colonists into the city of gold. And then right when he gets, I think it's to the border of New Mexico, in Arizona, he's captured. The Aboriginal people there looked at Estevanico as a mercenary of death. And so he was killed. And many of the Albions, the Germanic tribes, after that attempted 
to find the city of gold that, that Aspenico told them that you could see from on top of the hill, a city of vast wealth. But they could never find it. This land is huge. It, it, it took them four years uh, to walk to walk across, I think it's three or four different states when you get into the history. It took four years for them to do that. So they could never find what Estevanico um, was speaking about. However, many of the Aboriginal people here lost their lives in the attempt of them trying to find that. You had an estimated 100 million people who were here, and more than likely there was a lot more than that because we're speaking of uh, continents that have been inhabited for thousands of years. Even 100 million would not be a number that would make any type, any sense. Speaking of, you know, thinking of the fact that the the, the number of the U.S. U.S. government census gives this um, population as 400 million, and we're only talking about since the 1600s, and this population is at 400 million. So when you start looking at the number of inhabitants that would have been here after thousands of years, it would far exceed 100 million. What was happening here is that you had disease brought by these Germanic tribes. And about 80% of the people here were wiped out by disease. It was a very, very interesting story uh, that I was reading, I think it was yesterday. Um, at a California uh, university, a so-called uh, native um, woman who, who was in a uh, college course was upset because an Albion professor said that he did not like to use the term genocide for the um, events that went on here after 1492. And the so-called native woman gets expelled from the class because she interrupts the class. Uh, two days later, she, she said that on the first day she was so enraged that she didn't have all her facts straight because she didn't say anything. That was on a Wednesday, but by that Friday, she had gotten some facts, and then she had became enraged again. So she began to engage the uh, Albion professor in banter, who was eventually kicked out of the class, um, and then later on found out she was expelled. Well, from reading the story, it was interesting because what the Albion professor said is that he did not like to like to use the word genocide because genocide uh, entails purposeful um, and calculated, meaning that it was done on purpose. And he said that 
most of the people here were wiped out by disease. Now, of course, anyway, in Albion, whenever an Albion is trying to remove certain words, you had both. You had the willful and calculated uh, killings of many of the Aboriginal people here, but he was correct in that the vast majority, the vast majority of the people who were killed here were wiped out by disease. There was no um, great war tactics that the Albion had. There was no great war machines. Um, There was not all these... uh, Guns and all these different things that the Albion had um, at this time. See, that did not, um, it just simply did not exist. And so when he's speaking um, about the, the disease, he's speaking of the fact that when you, the diseases spread all over the country and most of your tribes, that's how they were wiped out. But, of course, because you're taught the issue of the genocide from a, from a tactical standpoint of Albion's waging war as if they were this great war machine, then when the truth is offered to you, it's harder to understand because you've bought into the deception. Now, this, the reason that you end up having, or one of the things that was said by one of the senators who was attempting to um, bring about Columbus Day was that it was his job as a Christian to do everything in his power to wipe out uh, the pre-Islamic understanding of the world and so it was there his mission or part of his mission to bring about Columbus Day for this very to be able to accomplish this very feat most of your history most of your days of course is taught this way And so you're going to find that the Moors and many of the other events that took place were wiped out. When Columbus is telling you that the people here look like the people of the Canary Islands, neither black nor white, he's giving you the tone. Now, if you don't know what the people of the Canary Islands look like, then that just goes right over your head. But he's speaking specifically. He said the people were neither black nor white. Now, when he's speaking of it that way, he's speaking of what is known around the world at that time as people being black or swarthy. Now, remember, we have to remember 
that this is not written in English, so you have to go back and, and understand the words that are actually being used to see what is actually being said. And so when he's giving the um, description of the people, then you can also go to, of course, your 1828 Webster Dictionary, and it's going to give you what that understanding was. And, of course, that's going to tell you it is the copper-colored natives found here by Europeans. So in Cristobal Colon's journals, he also verifies what the 1828 Webster Dictionary is saying about what the people look like. Now, when you get into other books, they're going to also tell you that the Moors on this land were painted people. And they're going to tell you that depending on what we were doing would determine some of the different ways that we would paint ourselves. You will find that it is it is also understood that we hated, we hated our skin to be light. We would do things that would be understood as sunbathing today. We would be in the sun as much as possible. We loved our skin melanated, highly melanated as or the, the melanation to be able to, to surface, we should say. We love for the skin to darken up. And this is reported. This is understood. You're going to always see them in this time period describe the people as extremely well-made, beautiful. In fact, it was not until modern history, and when I say modern, I mean your uh, 20th century, that the Albion phenotype was considered to be the most beautiful in the world. That is a 20th century phenom. Never in history has that been a worldview until your 20th century. It was actually quite the opposite in, in comparison and especially in comparison to the Moabite women. So you're going to often find that if you look into um, many of your books, especially um, books by people who had never been to um, the northern shores of a Mexican, you're going to find that they describe, especially women of Sudan, Ethiopia, that region, to be the most beautiful they've ever seen. In fact, one, one, one scholar, um, in his own words, says there is not a woman on the, on the face of the earth among other nations who compares to the women that he's seen in the southern region um, of Africa. And this is also how they would describe the people here when they would get here. Cortez, the son, everyone describe the people the same way. You do not find the people described as ugly or, um, you know, hard to look at, unpretty. That is modern. 
that is a modern way to change, you know, change the history and make the people into savages. The women, the more by women, or especially um, described as very well made, very shapely with long legs. So when you get into the shaping of your modern Columbus Day, you also have to understand that the Albion will tell everyone else to get over it and forget their history, while at the same time having those that are enslaved continuously celebrating and giving entry, um, giving energy to their conquest. This is a vibration. The very nature of considering something a day, considering something a day is a vibration. And so with that, when people are giving their energy, giving their energy to this day, the day is based on colonization. And so you literally feed your energy into that. And by feeding your energy into that, without knowing the true records of the history, then you constantly reinforce everything that keeps this structure, this thing going, literally. And that is why the days are put out there. We're going to have Independence Day. You know, they're going to tell you that the war was fought to establish America, they'll say. And everyone goes out and celebrates it, giving it the energy. You have Columbus Day. Standing that the, the importance of Columbus is, is so important that he is the only individual giving his own independent day. That's how important he is to Albion. The presidents don't have their own day. There's no Andrew Jackson day. There's no George Washington day. You have president's day. But the importance of Cristobal Cologne to them is one that is extremely important, more important than any, any, so-called president of the corporation or of the republic in their eyes. Cologne marks the the time period of the fall of the Moors. Exploration and colonization of Moorish territories. That is what Cristobal Colon designates and why he has his own day. When we hear about the time of exploration, they're speaking directly of the time of colonization and war taken to the Moors. The blow that was struck in Andalusia, again, set off many catastrophes to Moors nations around the world, losing that stronghold. 
Now, there needs to be some research done into, you know, again, into why we were doing the things that we were doing constantly seeking to wrong, I mean, to right our own wrongs through the laws of compensation. This is the reason why we would build the uh, mosque that end up, ends up becoming cathedrals, why we would build the University of Salamanca. We were attempting to right the wrongs. This is the reason why we would teach them um, the spiritual pathways. We were attempting to right a wrong. Even when put into proper scope, understanding the amalgamation that was taking place. In many ways, was an attempt to bring them back into civilization. Again, these are attempts to right or wrong, and, and that becomes a whole different subject. But this is you. This is why they will mark the War of Forty Years as the most significant war in their history, because if. the Muslim Moors had been allowed to proceed forward through France, then the Albion nations would no longer be on the planet even today. And so that war is spoken of as a war to stop the the Muslim Moors from, from spreading Islam And they will use the code words such as, if we hadn't stopped it, all, all of Europe would be up under Muslim control. But they're speaking about the Albion phenotype being eradicated off the earth. Because as the Muslims were moving down the peninsula, Not only were their women being taken into harems, but their women were being taken as wives. Some, and great numbers, were being forced into this. But also some, in great numbers, willfully came. And so you have to know both sides of it. It is a fact in history that the Albion woman has never, and still today, does not, have allegiance with her men. Does not. You can. It is a fact in history that when the Albion woman came to a maxim in droves, they were fleeing into the tribes. Albions actually had to pass a law within themselves that their women would be killed if they ran away to live amongst the Moors and the tribes. And because the Moors, we exalted and have always exalted our women in our archaic history, the Albion woman fled because in her society, she had no rights. And so the Albion man on this land, as she came, was losing the ability to procreate as when he got here, literally 
vast, great numbers of their women were literally running to stay with the Moors in their tribes and become a part of Moors, harems, and concubines. They were not always taken by force, and that is documented in history. Again, laws were passed to prevent, prevent that, passed to prevent the Albion Germanic woman from running away from her men. The same thing was taken and happening in Andalusia and the Castilian and Aragon as the Muslim Moors were going and conquering a lot of the Germanic women were willfully, willfully leaving their men and going and becoming a part of Moors, uh, harems and Moors concubines. A lot of them willfully were allowing themselves to be given into marriage to, to Muslim Moors. Because even at this time in Andalusia, the women were still exalted, not as they were archaically, because now we're going into more of a patriarchal stance in time. However, even at this time period, the Moabite woman was treated a thousand times better than the Albion woman. And so they would willfully run away from the Albion man. She had and has no loyalty to him in archaic times when they were created, nor today. She was not made, created to have loyalty to him. That's just a fact in history and can be documented by how the laws had to be passed for her to not run away to other men. And if it wasn't for the laws that are passed, were passed in the 1800s and the 1700s, which she continually ran away, then the scope of what the nation would look like would be completely different now. And so with that, we'll close out. As a reminder again, um, if you haven't booked for this um, weekend's event, um, the event with the seminar is on Saturday. And you can um, email me for information at northgatebay at gmail.com, or you can hit Brother Akeem up on um, 95atprodigy.net, and you spell out those numbers, 95atprodigy.net, spelled out. For information, uh, to pay for those events, you go to northgatebay at gmail.com, uh, that's when you pay on PayPal to pay that's to pay for the seminar in Oakland Territory, to pay for the lecture in the Sacramento Territory, you go to nine five at prodigy dot net. Um, to reserve your seat. Again, I advise getting that done, uh, because it's limited seating at both venues. And um other than that, um, please support and continue to support um, more unity clothing. Uh, you can go to square, like circle square, squareup.com forward slash store forward slash more dash unity dash clothing to get um, your apparel 
uh, as soon as possible. We appreciate those who have supported. We appreciate uh, your support in advance for those who will be making future purchases. We're in negotiations with some stores at this point, so give us your, your positive energy. Um, we're looking to get the clothing into stores so that you can have it at retail outlets in your areas. So with that, we're going to end. We'll be back on next week. Now, next next Monday, um, the show will probably be at 10 a.m. versus the, instead of 11 because I am going to do a special airing um, um, with Amir Tashrik Bay uh, live on the air, um, and we're going to capture that on a, on a few different venues uh, because we want to get into a few different uh, very important subjects. Um, so look forward to that. Uh, I'll be announcing that and putting that information out um, as the week goes on and over the weekend. Um, so appreciate you tuning in, and uh, we'll see you uh, this weekend at the uh, seminar and the lecture, and we'll see you back on the air next Monday. Peace and love. <laughs>